Hey everyone, my name is Matt Boyd and I'm the lead pastor here at Sojourn Church. Sojourn is a church that's committed to the gospel in the context of family, living on mission to the city of Portland and our world. We hope that this sermon both inspires you and challenges you to live a life of intentionality where you seek to make disciples. If you'd like to learn more about our church family, you can go online and check out our website at sojournpdx.org. Enjoy this sermon. Good evening, everybody. How's everyone doing? Good. I'm I'm waiting for some responses. Uh, We love Embrace Oregon, if you're not familiar with them as an organization. And uh, we're excited. They are our newest local partner in the city. And so we have a couple of partnerships, Portland Rescue Mission, which you already saw we're doing a serve night with them soon, is one of those kind of citywide partnerships. And Embrace Oregon is another one. Um, I really believe in what they're doing. And three reasons I love them is, first, they work with some of the most vulnerable kids in our metro. Really, really in our entire state. I don't think it's just Portland that they work in. It's just that's obviously the area that we're working in. And they're ministering to both body and soul. Of some, once again, kids are some of the most vulnerable in our city. Another thing I love about them is they're volunteer-based. Uh, primarily, they rely on local churches, uh, where I believe that's where ministry should happen, at the local church uh, level. And then the third thing I love about them is they're good for the family. Um, I've got three little boys, as you see, exposing my kids to needs of children their age at such a young age and getting explained to them in those types of situations and why kids are in that situation and that it's by the grace of God that they're not in that situation but how we can love and minister to those kids and those families as well to me is priceless and it's really a a ministry that I can just show and model for them from a very young age. Sometimes we look around a city like ours um, and we we get overwhelmed by the needs. There's a a lot of needs. We just walk out the door and and you can see those and we don't necessarily know how to respond. We don't even know where to get started. Well, here's a very tangible need. So if that's you, if you're just like, you know, I'm so overwhelmed, I don't even know where to start. Embrace Oregon be a great place to start with local missions. Uh, here's your answer. You can attend one of their volunteer trainings. They do them every month, I think a couple different times all over the metro. I attended one recently. Um, you can get background checks so you can be able to uh, basically go in and watch kids for the DHS workers so they can do their work. Imagine if a kid got dropped off while you're trying to do your work at your desk. I know it's part of their job, but it distracts and makes their work longer. Uh, you can get like a thorough background check that takes a few months, and you can actually watch kids overnight or take kids for a weekend. And so I think this is something that's great that that Portland, the church at Portland, not Sojourn, but the church of Portland collectively can say that we should be the ones serving uh, these uh, children, these families, and these DHS workers. Other opportunities, organizing their closet closet, uh, clothing closet, cleaning their toys. If you know my wife, she's like a germaphobe, and so our toys get cleaned all the time. These toys get cleaned, I don't even think it's weekly. I think it's every couple weeks. Maybe once a month a group comes in and cleans these toys. Kids are licking them and sneezing on them, doing all those things. So those kind of needs exist. Um, and then uh, reorganizing their room, the rooms that they have for the children to hang out and play. And there's tons and tons of opportunities. So I encourage you to, to look into this. As a church, we'll be uh, serving alongside them. Hopefully we can grow into this partnership as we would grow. And part of the reason I want to bring up Embrace Oregon on the front end is, one, I want to highlight these groups that we're partnering with. Um, but also it's because tonight we're going to be talking a lot about children, the children-parent relationship. And we should be caring for children, both for our own children and those in vulnerable situations in our city. Um, and so I wanted to, to bring up on the front end. Uh, tonight we're starting the very last chapter of the book of Ephesians. I have loved going through Ephesians myself, and tonight Paul is going to continue with this idea of submission to one another. Now I know submission itself is not necessarily a popular idea. Blame Paul, blame the Bible. We're just trying to go through verse by verse and chapter by chapter and what it is that it tells us to do. Um, last week Paul illustrated for wives 
submitting to husbands, and husbands loving your wives as Christ loved the church. Um, tonight, he's going to look at two primary relationships. The first is children and parents, and that first section tonight of the first four verses. And then we'll look at the second uh, four verses, or five verses, and he's going to look at servants and masters in that section. So go ahead, if, go ahead, if you haven't already, open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. And we will start in chapter 6. We have blue Bibles in the back. If you don't have a Bible or if it's on your phone, and it will be on the screen. I'm going to attempt to sit over here in this stool just because it was here for my friend Julie. I don't normally do this, but I'm going to try this tonight just to see uh, how it works. I'm kind of sitting up in this weird posture, but we'll, we'll see how this goes. If it seems like I'm lax this week, we'll know not to do it again in the future. And don't be surprised if I hop up midway through because it, it feels different for me. So Ephesians uh, chapter 6. All right, so he says, starting verse 1, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And so last week, where we looked primarily at the marriage relationship, and we all know that first comes love, then comes marriage, then comes the baby, where? And the baby carriage. I know it's an old saying, but it still applies. Uh, at least I think so. And so tonight, Paul is going to focus on the relationship to Christians, I mean, to, uh, to children, to their parents. And he's further going to explain what submission looks like by describing the relationship of children submitting to their parents. And this form of submission means obeying parents, and the parents' role, as we'll see, is to nurture their children in the Lord. Now, I recognize we have people in here who don't have children, so some of you are thinking like, okay, I'm going to check out. But regardless, at least at Sojourn, one of our values is family. So we are a family, regardless if you have kids or your kids are out of the house or you're not sure if you ever want to have kids. And Paul, as I read scripture, Paul assumes that children are in attendance when the scriptures are read. Well, how fitting that most weeks at Sojourn, children are in, the, in attendance. We value and we want children to be present with us. Um, Andrea being from Argentina, the whole idea of like children's ministry and child care during a church service is a foreign concept to her. And so we've always kind of talked through this. And like we want kids to be part of the church as much as possible because they are part of the church. We want children not to see this disconnect between their childhood and adulthood in church. If we're kind of constantly outsourcing them into these classes and doing these things, um, then what happens I think oftentimes in America is kids get coddled so much. And it's like, okay, we're going to put you in these nice padded rooms, and we're going to make it like Disney slides and all these different things. And then they're entertained all the way until they get to college. And then they never attend a church faithfully in college because they have no idea what it means to attend church. They have no idea what it means to be part of the church. They've never been trained in the church. They've never been equipped to be part of one. So we want at Sojourn to be as much continuity as possible. We want to prepare our children early for adulthood. Now, does this mean we're never going to have specific ministries geared towards children? Absolutely not. In fact, we're praying about having an individual move here, and there's one who's interested that God's stirring in her heart who's going to help us navigate that. And what does that look like? We have a kids camp coming up in July, so share that with your friends, starting ages five all the way until, I guess, till college age, so until 18. So come and play, play soccer and play basketball, do these different things. And so we're doing these things, but we want to make sure that we make sure all of our decisions are well-informed and strategic as possible because children are a vital, important part of our church, and we want to make sure it's discipling those children um, to live well into adulthood as well. Further, I think that you see an application for those of you who are not yet parents in this particular passage, so the, that the whole body of Christ is to be used in helping train children. And so if you're single or you're married without kids, 
or you're married with moved out kids, and we kind of have a, a mix of all those relationships here tonight, the kids at Sojourn, even if the younger ones are primarily my children, in many ways, they are also your kids. What this means is that you are to love them well. You are to sit with them if you like. It doesn't always have to be Andrea sitting with my own kids. Someone else can sit with them. Serve the parents. I know this seems self-serving, but I'm talking about for those as well. I know others here that have babies who maybe they're not in, uh, present tonight. And serve with gladness when we do offer stuff for kids specifically. Because we are a family, and that's what family does. right? Someone washes the dishes, someone cooks, someone cleans, all those things. And while you don't have the same responsibilities as their actual parents, yes, ultimately my children are my responsibility and Andrea's responsibility, Paul says elsewhere that do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters in all purity. And so there's this whole family dynamic in this relationship that we all should be caring for the kids, both in our city with groups like Embrace Oregon, and then the kids who are part of our church family. And for many of you not yet parents, you likely will be parents in the future, and I cannot think of a better hands-on training environment than the children at the church. Okay, I still have one that's not potty trained, so if you want some really hands-on training, let me know. And next time it's time to change that one, I'll say, here you go. I'll model it for you, and the next time you get to do it. So Paul's going to start out for us in verse 1. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. So the second family relationship that we're going to see illustrated is proper submission of children to parents. Paul is going to focus his attention on the positive duty of children obeying their parents. Obedience, by the way, is due to both parents. Some have tried to negate the role of the mother due to last week's message on the idea of submission. But the word obey for children actually takes on a stronger meaning than the word given to wives to submit. I don't have time to unpack all that, but it takes on this very strong meaning of obedience. But we must note that while the command is to obey parents, our children must learn that they have been made ultimately for God and that they owe God obedience. Therefore, in order to obey mom and dad properly, and if you're in this room, you, you have a mom and dad. Now, I don't know how your relationship is, and it's possible they have passed away, but if they're still living, we all have a role that we're called to submit to them. And, but ultimately, to do that correctly and in the biblical view uh, mindset, it means we first need to submit to Jesus to have that proper understanding of that relationship. Continue in verse 2 and 3. It says, Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. So one of the ways our children, are you listening, Elliot, Liam, Oliver? <laughs> one of the ways that our children honor their parents is by obeying them. Last weekend was Mother's Day, as you all know, and although Andrea appreciated the flowers and time with, uh, as a family and going out to eat, there's a part of her that just really wanted our kids to obey. Like, I just want them to obey, and by obeying them, including her fourth child, which would be me, is a way that we can actually honor her and honor her on Mother's Day. Proverbs 21, 31, 28 says, Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. And so it really describes well that relationship to, in my case, Andrea. Ted, Ted Tripp points out that within these three verses, God has drawn a circle of great blessings. Children are to live within the circles of submission to parental authority. So submission to parents, regardless of their age, means honoring and obeying. So how do you submit to your parents? You honor them and you obey them. And by doing these things, we are told it will go well with you and you will enjoy long lives. Paul references the land in verse 3. In the new covenant, the promise of the land is not a physical land on earth, but an eternal life, which begins when one is regenerated here and now comes to full reality in the age to come. And so Paul is, is, it's kind of a random spot almost to mention. He's, he's not talking about uh, a salvation on the basis of works, but he is showing that the obedience of children is evidence that they know God. 
So how do you know that they know God? Is because they're obeying their parents. And it results in receiving blessings from God. Paul concludes a section of the children-parent relationship in verse 4. He says, fathers, so if you're a father, listen up. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Notice how Paul addresses the responsibility of fathers in particular. And before we're quick to jump to conclusions, this does not diminish the contribution of mothers in any way. But contextually, when this was being written, to the audience it's being written to, in the Greco, Roman, and Jewish cultures, fathers were typically responsible for the education and discipline of their children. I'll be honest. Thank God that I was not born to that culture. Because that was the primary responsibility that was given to fathers there. And now to be fair, this has changed much in our culture. If you just look around today in the family dynamic. And as I mentioned last week, and although we both have master's degrees, Andrea is way smarter than I am. I have no doubt about that. Are there certain areas that I'm better? Sure. But as a whole, I would say that she is the, the brighter crown and the crown box of our family. She's definitely the prettier one. All right? If you, if you haven't been able to tell that. And she's much smarter in things like math. I'm horrible at math. Like, don't even, don't even give me a basic math problem. And, and our children get educated in Spanish. And so I can't even do a whole lot with our kids' education because I just don't speak enough Spanish. Call me lazy or just really bad at languages, but that's her first language. But we do share the load of disciplining our children, which is given to both of us. William Farley says that Christian parents have one goal during this short window of opportunity. It is to transfer the baton of faith in Christ to the next generation. So as Christian parents, that is our goal, to pass on that faith, that baton, to the next generation. So parents, both fathers and mothers, play a crucial God-ordained role in the discipline of their children. Parental discipleship should be centered on Jesus and focused on the kinds of practices that Paul outlined for much of chapters 4 and 5. So really, when you think about gospel parenting, gospel-centered parenting, what that looks like, it's, it's discipleship of our children. I think sometimes parenting, even in the church, we've made it so much about the kids and we've made it so much about us, but it's really all about Jesus. And how is it we honor and glorify Jesus in those relationships? And how is it that, that, that this, this works for the children to submit to their parents, obey their parents, and we submit to one another and ultimately submit to God? Gospel-shaped discipline is less concerned with controlling the behavior and more concerned about the shape of their heart. And so this has been a learning curve for me. I'll, I'll be completely clear and transparent. Really big learning curve for me. Because there are times it's just like, just do this. Right? And I'm not above robbing. I'll be in the store. My kid's going to throw a fit. Mom's not there with me. So I don't know if Andrea does this. I'm like, do you want that Snickers? I will buy you that Snickers. But you know, zip it. Don't say anything else you know, in this social setting. I'm not above doing that. But as I look at this, it, I should be less concerned with controlling their behavior, more concerned about shaping their heart. And so as I see something, a behavior pattern, there's times when I have to say, son, I'm worried about you, not because of even the behavior that you're doing, but there's this pattern in your heart, and I'm concerned about your heart, ultimately, and what's going on in there. And which, when you understand it, you'll change your approach to discipline altogether. When you understand it's about their heart, and is their heart actually being changed? Because any of us, for a certain amount of time, can follow a do's and don'ts, right? We can, we can make our law and kind of box in the, the law. But is there really any change that's actually happening, anything that's actually taking place? This is one reason I think it's so vital to your relationship with your children that you take them, if you have daughters, on daddy-daughter dates, or father-son time, for whether it's ice cream or out to eat, or for my boys, they love going to an arcade. Because I look at these, and say, yes, you're creating lifelong memories with your children when you do these things, but it's also an opportunity to have real conversations with them and to disciple your children. 
You know, I try to talk to my children as much as I can. I think sometimes we talk to them like they're, they're little forever. And my youngest, Oliver, is so adorably cute that he is still kind of my baby. And so I do that some. But at the same time, I want to talk to them like adults. Like, what's going on in here? What's going on here? How's school going? Let's, let's talk about these things. So whether it's out to eat for ice cream or at the arcade, that I'm able to disciple my children, just like we can disciple one another as adults. And Paul gives us three reasons that children should obey parents. He says, first, you should obey parents because it is proper. In other words, it's right. That's why we should obey parents, because it's right to do so. Second, he says, God commanded it. This is the fifth commandment, that, that we should obey our parents. Third, he said, if you obey your parents, there's a great reward. It will go well with you if you obey your parents. And so we try to instill this into our children. It's proper, God commanded it, and it's a great reward if you do so. Things will go well for you. But we also see a command for parents, specifically when he addresses the fathers. He says, do not provoke children. Provoking them is when we're being unreasonable, which as a parent, you usually know when you're being unreasonable. You just, if you just take a moment and think, and I have those moments, as much as I hate to admit it, you're like, you know what, I'm being really unreasonable right now. I think I'm actually provoking my child to what it is that they're doing. They're becoming reactionary to what it is that I'm telling them to do or that I'm making them angry. Provoking them is when we're always trying to find fault in them. You know, no matter what and how hard they try or how good they do, they're always saying, well, you, you messed up here. You missed that spot on the floor. I told you to sweep, you know, and you missed that spot on the floor. You missed this place on the table. Or, man, you did all the dishes, but you left this one. And so we're trying to find that fault in them. Or provoking them is when we parent in an inconsistent manner, which actually points back to the husband-wife role is we need to be on the same page in mutual submission in order to parent consistently. Often when you're stirring up anger in them is because it's when we've, you've shifted into behavior controlling, which is more about your convenience than it is about their development. I'm guilty as charged. And this is not the gospel. That is not how you parent if you've been impacted and changed by the good news of Jesus in your life. William Farley, who I quoted a minute ago, he, he says the gospel makes parents effective in seven ways. So if you consider yourself a Christ follower and you're a parent, here's seven ways that the gospel should make you effective in your parenting-children relationship. First, he says the gospel teaches parents to fear God. So as, as parents, if we're looking at the gospel, okay, we should fear God. And God promises to bless parents who fear him. The second thing, he says the gospel motivates parents to lead by example. The gospel makes parents increasingly humble, consistent, and affectionate. The third thing, the gospel-centered family, the gospel centers families in their servant leadership. So parents should be modeling that servant leadership role, mutual submission to one another within the relationship of the family. The fourth thing, the gospel teaches and motivates parents to discipline their children. Dis um, when we discipline our children, we're able to display the horrors of sin. We get to explain to them why it is that they're being disciplined and, and what it is, and ultimately we have the exact same problem that they have. We get to, to illustrate the consequences of sin. And sometimes even point back to examples to say, you know what, I did this when I was your age, or, or I did this last week, and as a result, this is what happened to me. And the gospel teaches parents how to discipline, that there's a proper way that we are to do this. You know, I think one of the things when, when I think about the gospel, and one of the things that's really hard is at times when I have to go back to my children and ask for repentance from them, because maybe I did provoke them, or maybe because I acted out of anger, and, and it went kind of too far to say, you know what, daddy, daddy was wrong. You know, daddy needs your forgiveness. And they able to point to that, that relationship that we have with God and, and that we, we can go to him with that. The fifth thing, the gospel motivates parents to teach their children. We value school teachers here. We partner with Vernon. That's one of our other relationships and partnerships, that, and we, we value them. But we as parents are to be the primary teachers of our children. It's our responsibility. It's, it's not the teacher's responsibility. You know, even if you send them to a Christian school, 
It's not their responsibility. It's ultimately your responsibility to raise your children and to parent your children. The sixth thing is the gospel motivates parents to lavish their children with love and affection. And so the gospel motivates us to love our children sacrificially. I could tell you countless stories of things that, that my, my parents did or did not do and where they sacrificed in order so that, that my, myself and my sisters could have certain things that, that my parents did not have growing up. And so where they, they loved us sacrificially because they wanted to have those things for us. And oftentimes they'd say, this points to, to our relationship with God. We thought this would be the most honoring thing that we could do to glorify God in that. And the seventh thing says, the gospel is the solution for inadequate parents. Amen. I, I can relate here. Gospel-centered parents run to the cross every day for mercy, for forgiveness, and hope to reapply themselves to the task of parental fidelity. And so this is something that I hear. So, man, I am an inadequate parent. I recognize that. I realize that. I, I hit that every day, that wall. Uh, like I said, Andrea's way better than I am, so she might be able to get along, go further than I can. But every day I hit that wall, like, what am I going to do? I am inadequate for this. And going, the gospel is a solution for inadequate parents. So praise God there's a solution for those that are like me. And Paul reminds those of us that our parents to daily proclaim the message about Jesus to our children, and we are to correct them when they forget to live in the light of the reality of what Jesus has already done. That's the thing. This is a challenged relationship, especially when they're young like mine, but to go, it's not about what you can do, but it's what Jesus has already done on your behalf, and pointing them to that reality from a very young age. And Paul is telling us to tie every aspect of our parenting to the message of the gospel itself. This is where you're to anchor your role as a parent to the gospel of Jesus. I'd love to dive into this more, but similar to last week's message on marriage, we just don't have the time to go into the full-blown spectrum of the parent relationship. But, and hold me to this, at some point, whether it's a seminar or whether it's a minister series or something, we will focus on the parent dynamic uh, in that relationship. I do want to recommend a few different books to you that you should go out and buy tonight on Amazon or, or go to Powell's downtown and get them. And you either need to read them immediately or reread them if this is relevant to you. The first of those is Shepherding a Child's Heart. The second of those is Gospel-Powered Parenting. And the third is Give Them Grace. Now, I'm sure there's lots of other really good ones out there, but those are three of the best that I've come across. And what's funny is I read all three of those when Elliot was like three months old because I was told the same thing. Like, you need to go out and get these books. Like, these are going to be really, really impactful. And so I'm like, yeah, I read these books, and now I'm like, I'm an expert on parenting. I've got a three-month-old. I'm ready to kill it. And then he's now eight. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. I need to read those books again. And so I'm going to reread these books. And if, if you're kind of preparing to eventually have kids or you have kids, you need to read them as well. Paul then transitions for us on from the parent-child relationship. He's going to focus on, on a, a, another, at that time, culturally normal and acceptable household relationship. Look with me starting in verse 5. He says, Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. And for the sake of these verses, we're going to read servants and masters. Uh, think of it as like the employer-employee relationship. And that's kind of help our, our modern thinking, our modern minds. Some translations, though, depending on what you have in front of you, say slaves. But most translations don't use that, as Paul is not condoning what we in the Western world think of when we hear slavery. Some people have tried to take this text out of context and abuse it. Paul makes clear in other places in the Bible the wickedness of that practice. So we're in no way condoning that or saying that, and Paul is not either. Paul was referring here to a practice like an indentured servant which was typically a voluntary contract that didn't last for a lifetime, and it wasn't based on one's race. Now, to be fair, from what we study, it wasn't a great working situation because you literally would sell yourself to someone, but there's no way um, commending the slavery system that we think of when we hear the word slave today. 
So it's estimated that bond servants actually composed about one-third of the population of a city like Ephesus. They were considered an integral part of the family. So this is just a normal part of the family uh, relationship at this time. There's still parts of the world, uh, whether it's, it's slavery or abusive, that's a different conversation. But when we lived over in India, we had a, a fourth room in our apartment. And then we were like, what is that? And they're like, that's the servant quarters. I'm like, huh, what do, you, what do you mean? It's very normal there if you're of a higher caste. And, and sometimes they get treated better than others. But to have someone who comes and lives with your family, and they're part of your family. They call them a Didi, like they're almost like an aunt to your kids, and they help do a lot of these things. So it was an integral part of the family in a city like Ephesus at this time. And so his instructions, it's, it's, it was very natural for him to also instruct the bond servants um, and dealing, <coughs> excuse me, with the family relationship. And the principles in this passage apply today in terms of submission to lawfully constituted authority. We all have those people in our lives. The only exception being if such a lawfully constituted authority would require you to disobey God's word and to go compromise one's commitment to Christ. And so to help our minds, let's think of it as the employee-to-employer relationship because we all have that. Every single one of us um, has that in here. And what we'll see is this is really like a Christian philosophy of work. And so what so many of us have wondered about this, I've, so many people have asked me, like, what does it mean to be a Christian at work? Right? There's another whole seminar right there. I hope somebody's writing these down, because we've got lots of seminars and equip kind of things that we can do. What does it mean to be a Christian at work? We're, we're not all a pastor, and so it's a little different for us. We work with real people who have real jobs, who, who in our city don't buy into this whole thing that we're doing tonight. So here's Paul's explanation of living out your faith at work. In short, you should, work, you should approach your work submissively. If you're an employee, you should continue with me. He says, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or he is free. And so we actually touched on this some in chapter 4, if you were with us that week, as every single person with that phrase, in Christ, in other words, if, if you're in Christ, then you are a Christ follower, you are a Christian, is in full-time ministry. It doesn't say if it is your preferred job, if you're in the job that you've always dreamed of having, if, if you're doing the job that you went to school for, what you studied, or if you hate it. It doesn't, it doesn't classify it that way. It just says that if you're in Christ, you're, a full-time, you're in full-time ministry, regardless how you're getting paid. So think about what it is you do right now. You may be dreading tomorrow morning. I've had those jobs where I thought, oh, it's Sunday night. That means Monday morning is almost here. And you may hate waking up on Monday morning and hate going back into that workplace. But God has you there for a reason. He has you there for a purpose. Now, it may not be forever. And some of you are like how I was at times. Where I'm just like, God, please, let this be the last week. Please, I'll, I'll preach and share the gospel with every single person just let me move on from this situation. But regardless how long God has you there, you are in full-time ministry, and that is your mission field. That's really one of your primary mission fields, because you spend more time there than you do almost anywhere else, and you spend more time with those people than you spend with anyone else. Sojourn is being built on the foundation of ordinary people doing ordinary things with gospel intentionality. That's really what I want for us. I want to hear stories, not necessarily about how many people showed up on Sunday night, because God knows we canvassed the neighborhood and no one's going to come. So what I want to hear is stories of everyday people. What, what did you do at work this week? That's awesome. Can you tell me the conversations that you got? in. Who did you have lunch with this week? And, and, and what is it that God is doing in their lives? Because God is working around us in our midst. We sometimes just have to open our eyes and our ears and be mindful of what it is that he's actually doing. 
And one of my jobs, among many things, is to help equip all of you to do ministry. And so if you do consider sojourn your church, then you are a minister of this church. You're ultimately a minister of Jesus, but then we all kind of represent this thing together. It's not sojourn like, I don't want you to be like, oh, that's Matt's thing, or that's Matt and Andrea's thing, or that's the Boyd's thing. Like, no, if you're part of this church, like, this is, our, this is God's thing, ultimately, and the thing that he's called all of us to part of collectively, and that he's got us in all these places. He's got us with Portland Rescue Mission, and Embrace Oregon, and Vernon School, and Concordia Neighborhood Association, and whatever your job is, he's got us on part of those. Those are partnerships and relationships as well. And hopefully you can bring those people around, whether it's on a Sunday night or a Thursday night or some other night, and that you'd feel like, cool, this is part of my extended family, and we're all in this together. Paul Tripp reminds us that your life is much bigger than a good job, an understanding spouse, and non-delinquent kids. It is bigger than beautiful gardens, nice vacations, and fashionable clothes. In reality, you are part of something immense, something that began before you were born and it will continue after you die. God is rescuing fallen humanity, transporting them into his kingdom, and progressively changing them into his likeness, and he wants you to be part of it. I feel like that describes really well what, what he's going after here. And then finally in verse 9, Paul says, Masters. So he kind of flips it. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. So although masters in antiquity have, have the power of life and death over bondservants, it was still their duty to do good to those living in submission to them and to not take advantage of their authority. We see other parts of Scripture. There is no partiality. So both masters and servants will be judged fairly. Romans 2.11, it says, For God shows no partiality. So maybe you found yourself in some position of power. Maybe as a parent, or maybe you own a business, or maybe you're the boss at the place that you work, and so you've kind of like arrived in a sense. You have these people who work underneath you now. And Paul's saying, for you who have power over others, the reality is most of us have some level of power over, over someone, whether, like I said, whether it's your children or, or, or some other relationship. And so he's saying, for those who have power over others, use that power the way that Jesus used his power in your life, to lift up and empower, not to manipulate and control. That, that is the, the key there is how it is that you're using that power or in some cases abusing that power and that we should be using it to lift up and empower those around us. So as Paul nears the, nears the end of Ephesians, he's trying to get the Ephesians and us to see that in all of our relationships, even the most normal ones, that they are serving God. So in your most mundane, normal relationship, and maybe you never even thought of this, that's why he's talked about husbands and wives, because that's a normal relationship. That's why he's talking about children and parents, because that's a normal relationship. And, the, and in this case, the employees and employees, because that's a normal relationship. Like this book, maybe I just haven't studied enough of the other books of the Bible, but as I've studied this book over the last 12 weeks with you guys, I'm like this is one of the most practical books in the entire Bible, because it's talking about us being united in Christ, we're built up to Jesus, and, and then they talk about all these practical things, like, like, hey, do not get drunk, like, okay, that's probably a good life advice, and, and submit to one another, and all these things that we do, they ultimately, we are united in Jesus, and we're worshiping Jesus by doing these things. I first said that you can measure the progress of your Christian life by how well you relate to your spouse, your parents, and your employer. The truest measure of your Christianity is how you are at home. So we're not going to do this, mostly because I don't want I don't want to hear the answer live. But if we were going to kind of get everyone's family in the room, even if your family's not here, and just say, okay, how does this person do? Like we see how they are on Sunday nights. We see what Matt says in front of everybody else. But if we were to ask Andrea now, what would what would she say? That's when you get to come to Sojourn 101, and and then you can ask uh, all the questions that you that you want. 
So let's stop here with that question. If based on your spiritual progress solely on how well you lived out, out at home, how do you think you're doing? Let that, just let that sink in. How, how well do you think you're doing based on that? And what Paul shows us is that the quality of our horizontal relationship goes back to the quality of our vertical ones. And so the quality of our relationship with God goes back to our quality of our relationship with those that we're interacting with every day. And the disruption here leads to chaos. So the disruption with our vertical relationships, whether it's the spouse or the children or other co-workers, leads to chaos with our relationship with God because we let those things kind of come in between us. And if you are satisfied in Christ and you're secure in Christ, which Paul tells us in the first part of Ephesians that we should be, and that you're chosen by Christ and you feel significant in Christ, then you should be happy with your reward of Jesus. And you should, put, you should p- quit putting so much weight on these relationships and letting those relationships define you. Do we not do that? We let relationships define us all the time. How well you know, the marriage is going, how well the children are behaving. And we say, this is the thing that defines us. No, God is what should define us. And as an overflow of that is how those relationships should then be defined. Many of us can't be good husbands or good wives or good parents or good children or good employees or good employers because there's something wrong vertically. If that relationship is messed up, if that relationship is not being, being cared for and worked on, then we're going to be dissatisfied. And as a result, we're going to be selfish and we're, we're going to be um, our time constraint and everything else in life is just going to be squeezed out and that's going to stress us out and it's going to cause a clash in our relationships that we have with everyday people. I see this happening in my own life all the time. When I find those weeks where I'm just busy, 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 and, and then it's like, I woke up yesterday, and this is not my notes. I woke up yesterday, and I was just in a, a bad mood. I don't know why. I felt rushed. I had to go coach my last soccer game of the season, and all of my family noticed. So uh, Elliot noticed, Liam, Oliver, Andre, they all noticed. You know, but at the same time, and I'm not saying like this has to be like a religious thing, but I didn't wake up and spend any time with God. I just woke up, and my day just started. Right, and so like I hadn't got this relationship right. You know, I was thinking about that recently. Um, when you, when you, we get so busy, right? Because life life is busy. If I ask all of you, how's life going? You say I'm busy. I say, okay, please stop answering that way, because every single person is busy. I've never met anyone in the last, I don't know, since I've been an adult in the last 12, 13 years, that hasn't said they're busy. And so we need to stop answering by saying we're busy. Like, I, yes, I get that. Please tell me how your life is actually going. But also within the business and that stress of life, I think a lot of times, and maybe it's just me in here, you, you tend to operate on like autopilot, which is like, all right, I got to wake up and do this again. Like, oh man, it's already Sunday night. Man, I got to do it again Monday. And then I roll back through here and it's like, cool, I'm going to set up and we're going to make sure that there's coffee when people arrive. And then it's like, oh man, we're doing this again and again. And I'll find myself getting these ruts and these weeks where it's like, man, have I, I even slowed down and take a breath and even spending time with my Father, my Heavenly Father, where I need to be sustained, right? And where you can head towards burnout. So every morning now, I don't know if I told you guys this, but eventually you'll hear it probably multiple times. Almost every morning, if I'm not awake yet, especially on the weekends, try to sleep a little bit later, you know, sleeping in for parents, 7 o'clock. Uh, so we can sleep in until 7. But our, our two, two youngest ones will come running in the room, and they'll get on either side of us in the bed. And Andrea was out of town a few weeks ago, and so it just kind of hit me and reflected that they both got in bed with me before they went and played Legos, before they went and made a bowl of cereal, before they went and tried to turn on the TV, before they did anything else. They wanted to crawl in bed and spend time with their father. And they wanted to get their, their nutrient, you know, kind of just, just be with me. Like, Dad, I just want to be with you. And, man, it really hit me. Like, how many days do I do that? That's the way I should start my day. Like, I should want to start it and say, man, I just want to spend time with my father. And they don't have to even say anything. They just lay next to me 
And it's just, Dad, I want to be next to you. So how many times do we start our mornings that way? Or do we just rush into the life and get in these conflict and these relationships and all these things? That was kind of a side note, freebie for you. But think about it. If you have conflict in these relationships, it's because there's, there's, there's people that oftentimes become bigger to us than Jesus does. We start worshiping our children. That's when they get on a healthy balance. We start, worshiping, we start worshiping our spouse, and that's where we're putting all our trust and faith in those people. Or you start worshiping someone else in your life. This is no surprise if you've been with us for more than at least a week, but I always tell people when they're, they're interested in coming part of our, what we call our core team at Sojourn, if they're, they're moving from the outside to be part of our core, if they're locally, just say, hey, I'm going to disappoint you. So if you're looking for a perfect pastor, it's not me. You need to go find somewhere else, you know, and we're going to disappoint you. And just for people to recognize that, what does that family dynamic and relationship look like? Because oftentimes we put our trust and faith in relationships and individuals that aren't Jesus. And so maybe, maybe we need to turn our attention here first. The good news is that when we get our relationship with God, our vertical relationship right, he'll take over in all the other relationships. Does it mean it's going to be easy? No. Does it mean it's just going to be, it's going to be perfect? No, absolutely not. But it does mean that the relationship dynamic is going to look different because we've got God that we're trusting going to ultimately and seeking for our wisdom and our counsel and our advice. Have you ever repented and turned over control of your life to him? Are there areas maybe in your life, maybe it is with the parent relationship, or maybe you are a boss and you thought, man, I've never given that over, or maybe you're the employee and you're, you feel like your boss is just hard, heavy-handed on you. Have you asked God to help you submit to him first and foremost so that you can submit then to these other areas in your life? And are you committed to growing in these things by being actively involved in a faith community? Now, that may be sojourn or it may not be. Shameless plug. We'd love to have you. We are learning what it means to follow Jesus. When we talk about sojourn, we're, ta- we're taking a sojourn together and learning what it means to faithfully follow Jesus. And we're going to make mistakes along the way. We're going to take some twists. And we're going to take some turns along the way. But God willing, we will be practicing the ways of Jesus together. So I want to give you an opportunity to respond. Typically, we we like to respond through the taking of the elements of communion, and this is a reminder for us, every single week, as you rip off that piece of bread, you know, it's more than just a little symbol, but that Christ's body was actually broken for you. It was broken for you, it was broken for me, it was broken for all of mankind. We think about the needs of the city around us, think that we are celebrating this fact with a small piece of bread and that we have to go out and share this message with the city around us. And as you dip that bread into the wine, that it was Christ's blood that was shed for you and shed for me. If you need to respond to Jesus, we always want to make that available. And you might be sitting there thinking, like, what, is, he, is he talking about me? Like, I've got children in the room, speaking of the parent-children relationship, who haven't necessarily submitted to Christ. So I always want to put that offer out there. If you need prayer or to respond by talking to someone, I usually hang around in the back or fill out on our prayer card and just drop it in our, our box there, and we'll be praying for you throughout the week. And then we'll finish by singing a final song. After, after we've taken communion, we'll have Julie come back up and, and lead us through that. So let me pray. We'll respond accordingly. And then we'll finish the night by worshiping King Jesus. Thanks for listening to our sermons podcast. We are a church that's committed to the gospel in the context of family living on mission to the city of Portland and our world. If you'd like to learn more about what God is doing in our lives, reach out to us by emailing info at sojournpdx.org or check out our website. We look forward to hearing from you soon.